All right, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Rigos Rag Podcast. Ian Cummings here with Nathan Britton and Jacob Kemenker. Uh, we've touched on a lot of things this offseason. We've touched on position battles, roster projections. It hasn't been a while since we've touched on the NFL draft and uh, the 2018 results. We're going to do that today. Uh, we have Mark McCauley here with us today. He goes by Go Blue Insider on Twitter. He's written on draft prospects for uh, Michigan's Blogspot page. Mark, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing good, Mark. Uh, you know, I had some reservations about inviting a Michigan fan onto the onto the podcast, but I think we'll be all right. I think we'll be good. Uh, so, Mark, I guess to start it out, when we're talking about the draft, there's kind of a few phases. The initial reaction after the draft. Uh, and then obviously a few years down the line, we can go back and look. But right now we're kind of in a phase where everything's settled. We've kind of had time to think about how players fit and what each draft pick is going to look like in the team for the first year. But we don't know how they've done in the NFL yet because they haven't played a snap. But now that we've had time for our initial reaction to settle, what do you think of the Redskins draft this year? All right, so I'll be dead honest with you. Day one, when they uh, initially took uh, Deron Payne, I was... I was a little flustered. I was with a couple of buddies of mine, and we were getting all hyped up because we saw the potential players that we could draft at that slot. And I did a lot of pre-draft workouts, looking at different players and watching the combine, doing all that stuff. And I had a few guys pegged that I would love to have. And believe me, I'm the ultimate uh, best player available type of guy even if there are holes that need to be met. But I did see, because I am an avid college football watcher, I did see a lot of good D-line prospects throughout the draft that we could get later on. So initially I was a little upset with the pick. I did know a little bit about pain from certain games watched. But just to be honest with you, I mean, I like that pick better than uh, the D-tackle from Washington. But it was my choice. I would have taken one of those, um, the safety or... Derwin James, um, yeah. Yeah, Derwin James. He was one of my high players just because I don't know why he really reminded me of Sean Taylor. And I think I love that aspect of him more than I actually like him as a player. Uh, just because he reminds me of Sean Taylor, and I still have that in me. But when I took a step back and looked through day two and, and day three and all that, I really uh, started to really feel our draft, and starting with that uh, Darius Geis pick, I mean, that was that was amazing how they pulled that off. I have no idea how they did it, but I thought they did a great job with that, gaining a pick and getting him, and then hitting on a couple of players that could be uh, really good for our team in the late rounds. I think we did uh, overall a really great job. Yeah, it's funny that you bring up your uh, thought process on Deron Pink, because me and Nathan, we were doing uh... – a pot on Spreaker that night, and oh man, our our reaction was pretty similar. Nathan, you want to tell him about that? Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> I guess fluster is a good word. When you see that you have a chance at Tremaine Edmonds, who nobody thought was going to fall to the top ten. Granted, you have Zach Brown, Preston Smith, Mason Foster, Ryan Kerrigan. You know, you, it's not a glaring need, but the talent is undeniable. You say best player available. And then you have Derwin James sitting there, too, at a position where we really haven't had a, a true safety that can be a game-changer since Sean Taylor. They go for a guy who, for lack of a better phrase, I guess, was more of a flash in the pan towards the end of his college career than he was overall a steady, impactful guy. You know, it's a head-scratcher, and I think I didn't want him. I was—we— uh, 
we had done uh, another speaker before before the draft where we had our worst case scenario of who they go round one. <laughs> and Deron Payne was my guy. I remember that. Um, yeah. He still to me looks a little bit undersized for a true nose tackle in a three four. You look at Tim Seville. That's when I think of nose tackles in three four. That's how I think they should look. He, so he's a little bit undersized. Again, he didn't have a whole lot of college reduction until towards the end and. You could say, you know, as the competition got tougher towards the end of the season there in the playoffs where it counts, he showed up. And, I mean, there's always, you know, we can use that as a building block. But I was I was irate with the talent they left on the board. I felt that if you that was really your guy, you could move back and pick up maybe a day two pick. So I wasn't happy. It's grown on me a lot since then. And I think the addition of Tim Settle to be right there at that nose tackle in case maybe it doesn't work out with Deron Payne in the middle. He has to go outside or something. Uh, it helps a lot. I, he's grown on me. I expect good things from him. So we'll see. Yeah, but yeah it was uh, a lot of hurt feelings. Yeah, yeah, it, it it stung. I still remember that. But Jacob, Jacob, you were probably happy when that happened. I mean, you were happy when that happened. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to gloat here. You know, you had us all in the spin cycle there. You were calling Deron Payne from the start. and Oh, yeah. What, what, <laughs> I was probably one of the few Washington Redskins people who was like, yeah, we got Deron Payne with the 13th pick. And, you know, like, I understand the logic of, like, Derwin James and Tremaine Edmonds. They're both very good players, but, like, the defensive tackle position, the nose tackle position has long been an issue for this team. And Deron Payne, yeah, he doesn't have the greatest production totals, but at the very least, he's going to be an excellent run stuffer, a great athlete. And I truly think his pass rushing talent will shine more in the NFL than it will at Alabama, solely because he's going to have more opportunity at the NFL level to shoot through gaps and get into the backfield uh, because teams won't necessarily be focusing on him and he won't have to open things up as much for the outside linebackers as he did at Alabama. And in bringing up Tremaine Edmonds and uh, Derwin James, they're both very good players. But as it stands, what type of impact would they have on the team this year? That's how I look at it, at least. I know you can make the case that they could be starters, uh, but I'm a big Monte Nicholson fan. I like pairing him with DJ Swearinger, so how would Derwin James have fit in there? He probably pushes one of them into a reserve role. Is that what you really want from your first-round pick? Same deal with Tremaine Edmonds. He could possibly start outside or inside, but who are you going to push to the bench there? If it was the 2019 draft and either of those guys were on the board, I think then you have more possibility to have a need at either position. It would make sense. And I just thought Deron Payne filled the need, was one of the best players available. I know those two other guys are probably better than him in terms of pure talent, but I just, I really like Payne. I love his fit next to Allen, college teammates, and I just think he's going to be an impact player right away. The potential there with Tom Sula is enormous too, because he's a guy with really good athleticism and length and you know, with yeah. that length, he can kind of fill in at no tackle if needed. Uh, coming to end, he's got versatility. So, yeah, I, I was kind of stubborn leading up to the draft. I, I remember I was a staunch opponent of drafting a defensive lineman in the first round because of what you said, Mark, earlier. There were a lot of good defensive line uh, prospects in this draft, a lot, and a lot of them trickled down into the later rounds. As we saw, we got Tim Settle in round five. So I was in favor of getting him, maybe fully Fatu Kasi back in the later rounds but looking at our roster now i don't think it would be this strong if we took derwin james or tremaine Edmonds. it took drafting deron Payne to realize that so i'm kind of glad i wasn't the general manager at that moment but you live with experiences so uh, i think we had a pretty solid draft mark you've had time to kind of sort through all the picks who in the seven rounds would be your favorite pick based on value based on you know ability 
And be careful with this answer because Trey Quinn, don't sleep on Trey Quinn. I'm just I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> no, I, I know uh, you and a lot of other uh, people on Twitter are on this Trey Quinn train. Trey Quinn season. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love Trey Quinn. I watched a lot of his tape, and he has very fluid mechanics. He has great hands. He reminds me of a Edelman-type player, I guess, or a Danny Amendola, and... I like him. I do. I'm gonna throw one to you, though. I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little out of the loop and say someone that most people wouldn't. I'm gonna say Greg Stroman. Okay. I think um, after watching him, I mean, he's just a straight playmaker. Virginia Tech is known for their defense, their secondary, and I believe he is reuniting with his old coach. So that, I mean, that could be a significant part in his progression. I believe, from what I've heard, it seems like he's been doing very well, at least in the rookie minicamps, things like that. And I think that he he could hit that Kendall Fuller spot at some point in the season. I mean, I'm not going to say right away he's going to just jump in there. But if you're going to put Skandrick in there, I feel like um, I don't have high hopes for Skandrick. I think that he's just a filling guy that will probably play, what, maybe 30 40% of the time. And I feel like halfway through the year, Stroman could be that guy that fills in because he's a very similar player, I believe, to Kendall Fuller. Not saying that they have the same assets in that, but they are similar in the fact that they can produce. And also, he's a special teams guy. So, I mean, we've had our struggles over the years since, what, Brian Mitchell left us in that department. So, I feel like he could make that impact at the punt returner because I know we had some problem last year with fumbles and misplayed balls at the punt team and all that. So, maybe he could bring some life to that. It's, it's kind of crazy because whenever we think of seventh round picks you know they're kind of on the roster fringe but you see Strowman as a basic lock to make the roster I think he is I mean I mean no one's a lock per se except the first and second round pick and probably even the third round but I mean just based on what I've seen from him and us losing Breland and a couple other guys on the defense I feel like he could really step up and make a name for himself and he was very underrated. I feel like he's he can produce, and I feel like he's, in my words, I'd say a 75% lock. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, and uh, Jacob wrote a great piece on that this morning, and, you know, the cornerback group is very up in the air. If you analyze the depth chart, you know, you got Josh Norman, Quentin Dunbar, Fabian Moreau, but after that, there's a lot of guys who could kind of step in and contribute in those backup roles and maybe even step into uh increased roles too but uh jacob i'll go to you first and then nathan what was your favorite pick of this entire draft i mean was it deron Payne or was there a value pick you liked in the later rounds i mean i love the deron Payne pick in terms of fit um in terms of value you have so many options for what you could go with um i think the guys picking round two is very good value because he was a Mostly seen as an early second round prospect by the people I talked to. But I think in terms of pure, like, based on their production, based on their potential, I think Tim Settle's a guy we got to talk about a little bit more. I had probably a day two grade on him, so late second, early third round pick. 
the dude's just a monster. He's so big, but he moves so well. Like, usually you see that type of guy and you think, oh, he's only going to be able to be a run-stuffing specialist at the next level. But Settle moves like Vince Wilfork does. He's so big, and you don't expect him to be as quick or as agile as he is on his feet. So I think that Settle could end up being a potential uh, starter at nose tackle, like if Nathan, as you said earlier, they decide to move Deron Payne to end, or if they start using more two defensive tackle sets in a 4-3. I know they use a lot of 4-3 concepts, uh, but if you're looking for like early down run stuffing, you could put Deron Payne and Tim Settle next to each other, and that would be very difficult for teams to break through. So I think Settle, of the whole group, isn't getting as much love. I could see the argument for Geist and... I love the argument for Stroman, too, and I think, Mark, you nailed it on the head when you talked about how he's a punt returner and how they need a player at that position. I think that's why Stroman's going to make the roster, and eventually he'll grow into like a more of a reserve role, but I think they did really well. Settle's just a guy I really like, too. I'm big on the nose tackles this year, I guess. Dude, Vince Wilfork, that's a, that's a hefty comparison, both uh, figuratively and literally, so uh, let's... Let me clarify one thing. I don't mean to say that Tim Settle's going to be Vince Wilfork. Yeah, I'm yeah, just saying. When you watch him, he's big and he moves well, so it's a little reminiscent of Will Fork. But as a Patriots guy, I felt the need to bring him up, or a New England guy, rather. Hey, well, that's that's good. And, you know, Jim Tomsula, he's he's in there, and we saw what he got out of Matt Ioannidis, a fifth-rounder, and we saw what he got out of Anthony Lanier, an undrafted free agent. He's now a sack specialist for the Redskins, so the sky's the limit for Settle. And, you know, he produced at Virginia Tech, so there's got to be something there. Nathan, what about you? I think I know what your answer is going to be. Yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> I like the Tim Settle pick, too. I think that's got great value. He's a big dude. He's a local kid. I love that, him and Stroman. So I love the stories that go with that. But my favorite pick was Darius Geis. Um, I was banging the table for him at 13. I, would, I was ready to make that leap, even with the character concerns that I'm still waiting to to see or that <laughs> story that Mike Mayock has about how everyone's going to be embarrassed that they even link their name to him. Um, you want to talk about hefty comparisons? I look at him as like a more athletic Marshawn Lynch. I know he gets that comp a lot, but I think it's fitting. He's got the power to go inside and just run you over and with the amazing balance. He's got the speed to take it outside. He's got the pass-catching ability. Watching draft breakdown of a game last year of him at Florida, he came out of the backfield and caught a flare out of the backfield, and the, the defender flew down. Darius guys stopped, walked around him, and then – had enough stop to start speed to get to the first down and turn that play what should have been two yards into 12 so I think what you're getting with him especially getting him in the second round I think that's ridiculous I think there's 31 other teams that are going to regret that it was an amazing get and I'm excited because all he's done since he got here has been great with the fans any doubt upon his name is gone he's been working out at, at camp and is already poised to be the week one starter and I could see him being you know a thousand yard back and, you know, three or 400 yards out of the backfield with catching. I mean, he's going to be ridiculous. I always feel that the Marshawn Lynch comparison, you know, I love it because Lynch was a top running back in the league for so many years. But I feel like, you know, when people think of Marshawn Lynch, they think of the the big bruiser. You know, he doesn't make yeah. you miss. He makes you pay, stuff like that. I feel like Geis is not proven yet. We don't even know if he's going to be half as good as Marshawn Lynch against NFL competition. But, you know, you look at his film, you look at his talent, he's not just a bruiser. And a lot of people kind of dismiss him. This guy ran a 4-4-9 in the 40-yard dash, and he's got great agility and uh, acceleration, like you said. Can really turn on a dime. Uh, Nathan, you brought up something interesting. 
that you would have taken him at 13 or you would have considered taking him at 13. Mark, would you have done the same? That was kind of a debate throughout the entire draft process. How talented was Darius Geis and how high of a pick warranted picking him? What did you think about that? All right, let me start off by saying I believe that Darius Geis was the best running back in that draft. Hey, oh, you're not alone. <laughs> I, I, I like Barkley. I love Barkley. And I'm not being biased because I am a Michigan fan, but I have watched a lot of Big Ten games. I did see a Barkley that, one, had, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he had about 10 yards rushing against uh, an Indiana team before he broke off like a 35-yard touchdown. Uh, I saw him very inconsistent throughout the year where he would run for about 40, 45 yards and catch for about 50 yards. But he did have those big games that bolstered his numbers. He had some games where he ran for 150 for 200, and one of those games were against Michigan because he uh, his first uh, snap was a direct snap at the quarterback and he ran for about 75 yards for the touchdown. That's the thing that I see from him. He's very uh, inconsistent with this play, and sometimes I wonder if that's vision. I wonder if the vision impacts him. I believe that his numbers shocked everyone, but if I look at tape, if I look at the division he played in, if I look at a game-to-game film, I feel like Geis was the best running back in if you put it into perspective, Penn State had a great has a great quarterback. They have some good wide receivers. They have a decent O line. And they were still shutting him down in some of the games within the Big Ten. And there's only about four or five teams in the Big Ten that have legit defenses. And those teams literally shut him under fifty yards a game, whereas Geis was pretty much doing it at a uh, steady pace. But to go back to your question, at 13, I was a little up and down just because of the fact that I, I'm i not a firm believer of taking a running back that early. If you were to ask me a couple months ago, would I rather have Geis or Payne at that 13 spot, I would have said Geis 100%. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. And I'm really glad you brought up some of Barkley's flaws because I think people put him on this pedestal that they're already anointing him as one of the greatest backs of his generation. And Ian, you said about guys, he hasn't played a snap in the NFL yet. It's irresponsible to anoint him that. And and going back to what you said, Mark, with when you saw the inconsistency, when I watched him, now I'm not going to sit here as I have watched a whole ton of him because I didn't, but I watched a few games live, went to draft breakdown, watched a lot. And I see a lot of Matt Jones in him in the sense of, where you, you watch a Geis, Geis is getting the ball, and I, I saw numerous plays where he's turning, you know, negative one or no gain into plus two or three. I see a lot of Barkley getting caught in the backfield and looking to try to make that move to make it, you know, a 70-yard touchdown rather than, you know, minimal damage. And I think that's going to catch up to him at the NFL level. I mean, I saw too many times where he's going, he's dancing around the backfield looking for that big play, kind of similar to what Matt Jones did, similar to what Le'Veon Bell did, and, you know, who's he going to be? Is he going to be Le'Veon Bell where he can dance around and take all day back there and then run a 30-yard, or is he going to be a lot of, he's going to dance in the backfield and it's going to end up being minus three or four and people getting fed up with him? It's, I had guys as RB1 too. Barkley, to me, is if he checks all the boxes that everyone thinks he can, if he lives up to that hype, no doubt in my mind he'll go down as one of the greats of all time, but 
as of right now, you're asking me, hey, you know, it, fourth and three, we need a we need a first down to kick a field goal to win the game. Who are you going? I'm going with guys. I think right now, I think as a pure down in down out running back, I think guys is the better back. No, I, I agree with you. I agree with you, and I wanted to bring up the point. Other than Ezekiel Elliott, I want to see if you guys can remember this. Do you remember the one back 15, 20 years ago that stood out this much that fell flat on his face? And he was also drafted by the Giants. Do you remember Ron Dane? Yeah, yeah. I remember. He used to be the NCAA leader in rushing yards, I think, before Rashad Penny or Donnell Pumphrey, I think, took it from him. Yeah, he went to uh, Wisconsin. I believe he was drafted in 2000. I know you guys are a little younger, so I don't know how much you know about him, but he was that dude. He was the guy that had power, he had speed, he had all of this stuff, and everyone thought he was that next big thing coming into the NFL. He was drafted, I believe, in the top 10, maybe right outside. Yes, sometimes you hit it with running backs, but you can never know for sure. And Ron Dane is a great thing to look back on when you go to these type of running backs that are proclaimed to be the next guy. Yeah, I mean, there's only so many Le'Veon Bells and Todd Goals. You're not going to get that every single draft. And it seems the past few years, I mean, you look, there's, oh, Ezekiel, he's he's so good. He's so great. He's going to be the best back in the league. Okay, the next year, oh my gosh, Leonard Fournette, he's so good, he's so good. Oh, Christian McCaffrey, look at him, look at him. The conversations of you can't draft a running back in the first round, you can't draft a running back in the top 10, and a lot of those guys went in the top 10. Eventually, you're going to miss. You can't have these generational talents come out every year because then it's not a generational talent. I think to just lump him in with those guys and, and say, oh, this guy, is he's a complete back, he's ready to go, and he, he's going to be better than those guys by the end of next season, that's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. He's going to a team that picked that high for a reason. He's going to a team that tried to improve their offensive line. Not that much. I mean, they're going to get bullied. And is he going to be the guy? Is he going to withstand? I don't know. Eli Manning isn't going to be able to lead that offense for very much longer if it, if this year, if he's going to be the, the front run of that guy. I mean, you saw Odo Beckham getting banged up last year. You know, he taking most of the touches. And I, I think it's it, it has to be a major wait and see, and everyone just needs to calm down with the he's untouchable, he's going to be the best back. I agree. Just to put it into perspective, I was looking up his stats, uh, Ron Dane. His freshman year, he rushed for 2,242 yards and 21 touchdowns. Senior season, he ran for 2,043 yards and 20 touchdowns. And that's in the Big Ten. Just like Barkley, not saying, I mean, that's 20 years later, but um, just to kind of put it in perspective. I think that's a fine thing to do when you're talking about any running back that gets drafted in the top Five picks. I mean, Barkley was number two overall. They're going to have to live up to their expectations. And, you know, there's no guarantee he's going to do as well as Ezekiel Elliott is. The draft is obviously a crapshoot, so you never really know what you're going to get. Uh, just circling back to Geis for a second, um, I think everything that we've talked about with Geis is true. I think he's going to be a good player for the Redskins. I like his skill set, and I think he's going to eventually be the starter. Whether or not that's week one, I'm not entirely sold on that yet. Not that I don't think he's talented, but I'm not sure if they'll throw him into the fire right away. I want to bring up one more player comparison to um, – Darius Geis, because I'm not exactly a huge fan of the Marshawn Lynch comparison, because I think Geis is a little more explosive than Lynch ever was. Uh, I'm taking this comparison from WalterFootball.com's Charlie Campbell. He compared Geis to Ray Rice. Um, and I, I know his name's a little tainted because of the off-the-field issues, but in terms of like on-the-field talent, 
Rice and Geist are pretty similar, aside from having a similar sounding name. They're both big guys who can run with power, but they also have speed and elusiveness to make big plays. So I think that's how I see him playing at the next level is that kind of performer. But I'll be interested to see how he does in his first year. I know, Jacob, you had him as your fourth running or third or fourth running back. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, it depended on my mood. Depended on my, like my Georgia guys. <laughs> yeah, well, the Georgia guys were good. Yeah, for sure. A lot of great running backs in this draft. We're running out of time here, but I want to quickly get some love for my favorite pick in the draft. Now, I did. I loved Darius Geis in round two. I thought he was going to be gone at the end of round one, and me and Jacob were texting on on day two of the draft. We were saying, you know, I don't know if he's going to be there because we traded the pick, and Detroit picked Karrion Johnson. Yeah, my Thank favorite you, Detroit. Thank you, Detroit. Yeah, my, my co-favorite team helps out my co-favorite team. So that, you know, it's it's a win-win. I got to take Trey Quinn as my favorite pick. And not because he's a better talent than Geis. Yeah, right. You, get, you guys saw this coming. Not because he's a better talent than Geis, but just because of the value we got him at. I had him as like a fourth round value or something. At SMU, he balled out. Got over 100 catches. I think he led the NCAA in receptions. I just, you know, I don't think he's a guy who's going to be Adam Thalen at the next level, but he's a guy for the Redskins receiving core. They're young, largely unproven aside from Jamison Crowder. I don't think Paul Richardson's unproven. He's just, he's got to make the transition to a new offense. I think Quinn is a pro-ready guy who can really help out our offense, especially Alex Smith's transitioning. But we are running out of time, so we're going to start off our uh, Rigos wrap-up here. Nathan, I'll start with you. Yeah, Mark, in case you can't tell, Ian's related to Trey Quinn, and don't let him tell you otherwise. No, I wanted to, the supplemental draft's coming up this week, and, you know, there's all this talk about Adonis Alexander and the Redskins. You know, he's got ties with Torian Gray, a need, obviously, with the position getting older and some unproven guys looking to step into huge roles this year. I wanted you to maybe break him down a little bit, give us a little bit of insight on him. Do you think he'd be a good fit here? Because if I was a betting man, I'd say it's pretty much a lock he's going to end up here. You know, what does he bring to the table? Is he going to fit in? Would you advise against the the Redskins looking at him in the supplemental draft? If I'm being honest, I don't know too much about him. I have heard he would be a good fit. I guess it really depends on what rounds he would go in. I know we have a few uh, picks coming our way because of the players we lost. I'm more of the person that I would like to save my picks for the next year's draft because I do think we're going to have it's a pretty stacked draft for next year. Yeah. And it's hard for me to say until I look deeper into them. If I were to make a choice, I would skip on it and just save the picks for this coming year. That's fair. Jacob? Yeah, uh, we've been giving a lot of love to Darius Geis on this pod, and rightfully so, because Geis is going to be very good. Um, I've been seeing a lot of people out there who are pretty lukewarm on Samaje Pirine. I just want to take a moment to give him some love. I think oh. Pirine is going to make the roster. I know he's not going to be like the long-term starter, but the dude is strong. With another year of development, he could become a really good backup for a one-two punch with Geis and then Thompson as a receiving back. So I just want to give Sabaje P. Ryan some love. Uh, he deserves it. He could be a great short yardage guy, so we'll see what he becomes. I agree. I love Samaj P. Ryan. I hate the little amount of love he's getting, man. If you don't mind me just um, saying one last thing, uh, two guys that I want everyone to watch out for, I know you guys glanced over them before, is Cam Sims and... 
my boy Simi Cobbs. Oh I've yes, been, I've been I've been very high on Simi Cobbs just because I've seen what he could do. I saw him the first game when he played Ohio State, and he torched that secondary so bad. So I I love the potential in those two players. Do I think Simi Cobbs would make the team right off the back? I don't know, but if he gets into that um, practice squad and he comes up later on, I think he could be a great development. We will see what happens, but we are out of time, guys. want to thank Mark McCauley for coming on to talk draft with us. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a good night. Peace out.